Church Bibles. While you're finding it, let me just say that last week we looked at chapter 12, as Andrew has reminded us, in an overview of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And the three primary things that we mentioned were from one verse which says this, to each is given gifts. The second phrase says, they are a manifestation of the Spirit. And the third thing was, they are given for the common good. To each is given a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. Then we looked at the gifts mentioned in that chapter, commented how that that's not an exhaustive list. In fact, there are other parts of the Bible that have other lists of gifts of God's Holy Spirit, but they are illustrative of the way God gives gifts. And 1 Peter chapter 4, you you remember, says about gifts of speaking. If anyone speaks, he says, this is how you're to do it. And the second half is, if anyone serves, this is how you're to do it. So they're gifts of speaking and gifts of service in that broad brush. Now, we did mention, but we didn't dwell on those before us today, namely tongues and prophecy. Um, Why did Paul focus on them? Why do we need to focus on them? Well, because to some extent they became a little problematic for some people in the church, and in some places they've even become a bit divisive. And clearly, Paul talks about them because that was what had happened in the church at Corinth. These gifts, others perhaps as well, but these gifts had become problematic. So he extends at least two chapters, and if you include chapter 13, three chapters to how you handle these particular gifts and what he has to say to us. Chapter 14 that we're going to look at is really about prophecy, but in dealing with it, he also deals with tongues, so we'll mostly look at the verses that we read together earlier on. So tongues has been and continues to be of concern in some areas of church life. These gifts, as I've said just now, dominated the church at Corinth. Now, to look at these gifts... I think it's helpful to us to first of all focus, just for a minute, on verse 1 of this chapter. For verse 1 says, follow the way of love and equally desire spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. And of course, that follows from chapter 13, which is that long chapter about love, often read at weddings and so on. But it's that chapter about love. And if you look back in chapter 13, verse 4, speaking about love, it says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. So when Paul says at the beginning of this chapter on prophecy about following the way of love, that is illustrative of what I've just read from chapter 13. 
the way in which gifts should be used are as an expression of love within the fellowship. And in exercising those spiritual gifts, there should be patience, kindness, putting others first, humility, not rudeness, not self-exalting, not self-promotion, which are the opposite of the words that I mentioned from chapter, verses 4 to 7 in chapter 13. So love is the basic, the foundational, the, the um, biblical reason for exer- exercising spiritual gifts. It's, we exercise them as an expression of love. Now, with that as a background, he says, by far the most important thing uh, um, is to recognize that out of the gifts of tongues and prophecy, by far the most important he says, is prophecy. By far the most important. Why? Why should prophecy be more important than tongues? Well, if love is the aim, the best way of achieving that aim is to help others. After all, love seeks to find expression in pleasing the one beloved. That's what love does. It tries to express their love to the people that they actually love. So if we're making the exercise of these spiritual gifts love, then we will want to use those gifts that will bless other people, bless the church, bless the fellowship. And he says that tongues is primarily personal, primarily a self-blessing gift, if I can put it in those terms. Whereas prophecy is for the body, for the church. Prophecy, of course, is not predicting the future. At least it's not mainly predicting the future. But prophecy is a revelation of the mind and the purposes of God. That's what prophecy is. Particularly, applying God's mind to current situations. And that may be done in all sorts of ways. For example, the preaching of God's word, expository preaching we sometimes call it, where we take God's word and we seek to expound it, to explain it. That is prophetic in the sense that it's the mind of God is being revealed to us all as we read and as we think. So that is an area of prophecy. Or maybe it's a more specific application of God's word. When God speaks to a specific situation, it may be an historical situation, or that is to say something that's happening amongst the church, amongst the body, and God has something to say about that particular situation to the body of Christ, the gathered church. It's an application of God's word to that church. So what God's word has to say is applied specifically to specific situations within the church. But it could also be the receiving and declaring of God's mind for a particular person. Now, as we said last week, the New Testament, uh, rather this chapter, these verses and about prophecy and tongues and this book, of course, of 1 Corinthians, was written 
before the New Testament was completed, obviously. It's part of the New Testament. So the New Testament was not completed. Wasn't, wasn't either compiled or distributed. It wasn't collated until much later. And therefore, you would expect, wouldn't you, that words of prophecy would be much more apparent in New Testament times than today, because today we have, in large measure, uh, how we react to things and how we see things are revealed to us in the Scripture. Much of God's truth, much of God's revelation is contained within this book. But that does not mean that God has nothing to say that's specific for us today. Um, there are many situations which were not faced in New Testament times, both at a personal level. For example, you may have a terrible problem with a decision you might have to make. You, you have to make a decision about a crisis you're facing or a job, and you have to choose between this job that you're going to apply for or that job, and you don't really know. You want to do the right thing and to please the Lord, but you really do not know which is right. And God can easily speak to that situation through somebody else or direct to you and say, this is the way. Now, you wouldn't find that in the New Testament because the Bible doesn't talk much about quantum mechanics and so on, if that's your job that you're thinking of applying for and so on. So it doesn't say it, but somebody might say, well, in the light of all that we know of God, and God has spoken to me, and I think he wants me to share this with you. Or at a church level. This church, Abbey Church, some years ago, when we were all at Hillview, at least not all of us, some of us were at Hillview, in Hucklecoats, the work grew there, and we felt it was the right time to plant a church. Now, we may, in the future, decide that we want to plant a church. I hope we keep our eyes on doing that, that there come a time when we will want to plant again somewhere else. Well, it may be in a situation like that at a church level when God has to say, yeah, this is the place. That's the way. Here's a word that I want to explain to you. That's the place to go. Well, you won't find that. I don't think Brockworth is mentioned or Hucklecote or Abbeydale is mentioned in the New Testament. And a specific word may be given, and we feel that that is actually from... the. The, um, from the Lord. Or it may be something to do with today's culture, how we live and operate in today's culture. So although the majority of God's revelation and the foundation, certainly the foundation, all that we need to lay the foundations for behavior, for doctrine, for belief, are contained in this book, the application of it, God can speak to sometimes specifically. Now, somebody might say on, a, on occasion, I've been thinking and praying about you and your situation, and I feel that God would have me say this to you. You shouldn't take that job, or I, I think it's wrong that you take that job. You'd be unwise to take that job. Now, in a sense, that could be a, seen as a prophetic word for that person. Or a preacher in preaching can share something, and quite unconsciously, it applies so specifically to somebody that it comes to them as a voice of God. Actually, if I can be so personal about it, um, I was preaching a little while ago in a church in Iceland, and I can therefore mention it because you're not likely to know the church, and I won't mention it anyway. And uh, I had an email week before last saying, you are a prophet. 
Well, I never thought of myself quite like that, but that's what this person said. Because what I had to say applied very specifically to a specific situation that that person, it affected the church, but that person was facing, and they took that as a direct word from the Lord. I didn't come with any specific word saying, by the way, you sitting down there, that's your word. I'm not saying that's never right, but I didn't in that situation. It came to that person as a word from the Lord. It might be done consciously or unconsciously. There are so many different ways in which prophetic word is given. So Paul then compares tongues, which we've touched on, and prophecy, which we've touched on. And, and just look at it with me for a second. Verse 2. If anyone speaks in a tongue, he does not speak to men, but to God. So the first thing is tongues are speaking to God, not men. Okay. Verse 3. But anyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. So it's speaking to men. Prophe tongues are speaking to God. Prophecy is speaking to men. Verse 4. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So tongues edify the speaker. Verse 4. But he who prophesies edifies the church. So he's speaking, the pro word who brings the word of prophecy is speaking to the church. That's why prophecy in the church is the greater gift because we're trying to exercise love and exercising love has to be an expression of love to people. And in the church, if you're just doing it for yourself, then it's not an expression of love in the church. It has value, which we'll touch on. has value, but it's not an expression of love in the church. In the church, Paul is quite clear that the way in which um, making, following the way of love and an expression of love would be much more through prophetic works, whether it's the expounding of God's word or hearing what God has to say and sharing it with us. Now, there are three things to say then. So in the New Testament, the New Testament evidence is that speaking in tongues is, a primar is primarily addressing God. Verse 2, he does not speak to men but to God. And therefore, verses 16 and 17 in this chapter say that if there is speaking in tongues, an interpreter must be present. If you're praising God with your spirit, how can anyone find himself among you uh, how can one who finds himself among you, those who do not understand, say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you are saying? You may be saying thanks well enough, but the other man is not edified. And then down at verse 27, if anyone speaks in a tongue, two or at the most three should speak, one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there is no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet. Incidentally, it's interesting to note, isn't it, that the emphasis upon interpretation is given to the speaker. The speaker must decide whether there is an interpreter present, is what he's saying in those verses. Because if there is not, he should be quiet. You may think I'm being a bit strong there, but that's exactly what Paul says. And it's the speaker who has to make that decision. So tongues is addressed to God, not to men. 
Specifically, it's in the area of praise and thanksgiving. For example, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came upon them at the day of Pentecost, it says that they all heard them praising God. That's not the preaching. Paul didn't stand up and preach in tongues. He, they were praising God together in tongues. And then he stood up in verse 14 of chapter 2 of Acts and addressed the people because of the reaction, hearing them praising God together as the disciples had upon the people. So it was praising God that was overheard by others in Acts chapter 2 and caused them to ask what's going on and Peter then stood up and preached. So tongues is primarily addressing God. Praise and thanksgiving. Secondly, tongues spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14 is not understood by the speaker or the interpreter. It says in verse 2, no one understands him. And in verse 11 it says, he is a foreigner to the listener and the listener is a foreigner to him. So what then is going on here? What's it all about? Well, he says in verse 15 that my spirit prays, or verse 16, your spirit prays, but then he says in verse 16, your mind should be involved also. So it's almost at the level of what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 26 when he says, the spirit helps us in our infirmities. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the spirit helps himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. Here he's talking about, in that verse, he's talking about prayer. But it's almost at that level where the Holy Spirit takes over because of our weaknesses and he himself uh, is able to express things that we cannot put into words. So first of all, where tongues is primarily addressing God. Secondly, tongues spoken of in 1 Corinthians 14 is understood neither by the speaker or the listener. And then we may say that in tongues spoken of in Acts chapter 2 were understood by the listeners. Because it says in verse 6 of Acts chapter 2, each one heard them speaking in their own language. And then he says in verse 11, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. So the scriptural evidence appears to be that sometimes the languages are understood by the listeners, and at other times, they may be a language that no one present understands with their mind. But in either situation, they're not learned languages. Acts chapter 2, it says they spoke as the Spirit enabled them. In, Act, in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, it says they spoke mysteries with his Spirit. Now, just in passing, it may be worth commenting that some Bible teachers have suggested that Paul may be talking about ecstatic psychological phenomenon that cults and other groups sometimes see in their activities and so on, the phenomenon that comes from pagan religions and so on. But I'm quite sure that Paul is not speaking about that here. I just mentioned that in passing because Paul says... I thank God that I myself speak in tongues more than you all. So he's obviously not speaking about that. Then this chapter goes on to speak about prophecy. Verse 3. 
Verse 3 says this, But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Remember, it's the explaining and the expressing of God's mind and will. That's what prophecy is. Word from God to us, to, to the church, to people, and so on. It's expressing the mind and will of God. I, what John Calvin called the peculiar gift of explaining revelation. It's applying God's mind to man's circumstances. Now surely that is greatly needed for these three reasons mentioned in verse 3. First of all, it builds people up. It strengthens them. The word there is the word sometimes translated edifies them. It comes from two Greek words which means to build a house. To edify, edifice. To build. So as prophecy is given, it lays a solid foundation. So that's what it does. It strengthens. Secondly, it encourages, verse 3. And that's the word paraclete or paracletus. It means someone who comes alongside to support. The Holy Spirit comes alongside and God's word comes alongside. You can hold on to God's word and that strengthens you and it encourages you. And thirdly, it comforts, verse 3, too. Comforts um, us all. Literally, it means to em empathize. You know that God understands. And that God's word has something to say about you and your personal situation. He understands the pressures. The word of God understands the pressures. Now, it doesn't take much insight to see how important this is for the church, building up the church, encouraging the church, empathizing in the church. Someone you, sometimes you hear someone sharing the word of God and you feel exactly that. You feel, this is building us up. This is encouraging us. This is strengthening us. There's, it, this, this word is for my situation. God obviously knows what I'm going through. And all of that's for the blessing of the church, to build up the body. So when it comes to tongues, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. And when it comes to prophecy, he's edifying the church. That raises the question, then, is there any benefit to tongues if he's just edifying himself? And the answer from the apostle is, yes, there is. And the blessing is because his spirit is praising God. Obviously, that person who exercises the their tongues and so on is going to be blessed, to be refreshed, to be edified at a personal level. It is for self. Nothing wrong with that, which is why Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues, but I'd rather that you prophesied in the church he's speaking about. Then he adds, for that reason, if anyone does... Uh, does speak in a tongue, it must be interpreted. Remember, the responsibility for that is with the speaker. If not, don't do it. Remember, the aim is building one another up in love. To help us understand this, then Paul goes on to um, illustrate it with musical instruments in verses 6 and 7. Unless you use the trumpet with a clear note, how will the army know when to go into battle or not? When I grew up, I, I grew up in a church where there was, um, we used to have a midweek prayer meeting, and um, there was a lady who played the piano for the couple of hymns at the start, or song or two at the start of the prayer time. And she was an old lady, and she'd been around for years, I think. She probably was there when the church started 
three centuries ago, I think, but she was that sort of little old lady. And um, she liked to play the piano. She spent hours playing the piano at home. Miss Garstang, her name was. And Miss Garstang would be sometimes, occasionally, asked to play at the prayer meeting. But we always used to smile when she played because she, when she introduced the song, she would sit at the piano and she would play all sorts of notes jumbled up and so on. Nobody knew what the tune was, when to start singing, when not to start singing, until one of the church leaders bravely stepped out and started the, started the song, and she had to follow the singers rather than the singers following her. <laughs> but, but that's the sort of thing Paul's talking about. You know, you may make notes on a musical instrument, but it's not much use doing that unless it's played clearly so that it's understood by the listeners. Um, I mean, Miss Garstang, doubtless, she often spoke about it, enjoyed playing the piano at home, and she had in her mind the hymns and songs she was playing, whether her hands were saying this, playing the same thing, I have no idea. But um, she obviously was a great blessing and delight to her. But that's what Paul says here. He says, I'd rather that in the church you spoke five words that we understand than 10,000 in a tongue that we don't understand. I'd rather do that. Now, so far, we haven't meant the, uh, mentioned the interpretation of tongues. Two things to say here. Verse 13 says, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. So the speaker in tongues should pray that he may interpret what he is saying or she is saying. But then 27 and 28, which I've already read, says that there is... Uh, uh, there needs to be someone else who is the interpreter. Now, what do we conclude from this? Simply this, as far as the church is concerned, it is the message that is important. The message that's important. It's not the person who speaks in tongues or even the exercise of the gift of tongues. It's the message that's the important thing. Neither is the interpretation of it important in the sense of the exercise of a gift. It's what is said by God to it that is the important thing. Remember, we're talking about in the church. The important thing is, what is God saying to us? And that's understood in verses 20 to 21, which speaks about this passage in the law, where God, in the Old Testament, actually it's in Isaiah, in chapter 28, it says, Through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners I will speak to this people, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. What God was saying in the Old Testament through Isaiah to the children of Israel, he says, listen, if you don't listen to me, in the end, you'll be listening to languages you don't understand. What he was saying was that you'll be carried off as slaves to Babylon where you don't even understand their Gentile language. If you don't listen to me now, is what he was saying. So he says, in the church, don't be like children. Grow up. Verse 20, grow up. Um, Brothers, stop thinking like children, is how he puts it. In, your th in regard to evil, be infants, but in your thinking, be adults. Grow up. What matters is listening and responding to God's word. And the important thing is not the tongues themselves, but the word that is said. Personally, you may be very blessed, even if your mind is not involved, but the church won't be. 
without it being clearly explained to the church. So it's the, the, the message that's important. Now let's get a little practical in this, in summary. First of all, not all speak in tongues. You get that from the end of chapter 12, where he lists a number of gifts, and he's do all do this, and do all do that, and one of them is do all speak in tongues, and the answer implied to everyone is no, not all do. So not all speak in tongues. Secondly, prophecy is more desirable than tongues. Thirdly, tongues is primarily men speaking to God, whereas uh, prophecy, did I say tongues, is primarily men speaking to God, whereas prophecy is God speaking to men. Fourthly, tongues must be interpreted in the church. Even then, it is severely limited. Two or at the most three. The implication being that this is not primarily the best place for it. Sixthly, prophesy is the exercise of that gift that brings the mind of God to bear on a situation. Whether it's a specific word for a situation or the application of scripture or whatever, it's the exercise of the gift that brings the mind of God to bear on a situation. And seventhly, all must have it as their aim, love and the building up of the body of Christ in love. So important that we recognize those things. Now how will this actually be exercised in the church? Remember, we're all fallible. We can be misled. We may think we're doing the right thing, but not always are. We're all in that boat. People who stand up to preach, people who exercise gifts in other areas, we're all prone to that. So we must all be willing to be corrected and led by God's word. But if the, here we go, how do we exercise it in the church? Well, if the word that you feel God has revealed to you is from the word of God, then as you give it to the church, it will have its own parameters by which that message will be able to be assessed. That was what happened in the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 17, where they went and preached, and it says in Acts 17 that the Bereans were noble people, and they examined the scriptures daily to see whether these things were so. So that as you explain God's word, the word has parameters just by examining the word to see whether that is actually so. That's if it's an expression of God's word. But if somebody feels that God has a word for a person in the church or a situation in the church that is not specifically a biblical interpretation and you feel that God is giving you a word to tell people to apply to a particular situation, then the church would have no means of examining that because it would not be contained within the Bible. So what do we do then? It's not scripture. In that situation, we as church leaders feel that it would be appropriate to share it first with church leadership. You share it with the leaders of the church so that they, as part of their leadership responsibility, will be able to guide how best to handle things. Okay? So if you feel that, then we will not deny at all that God is giving you a word from the Lord for a particular situation, but we would suggest that you share it with us as church leaders. Now, that may be done in more than one way. If it's something that's not urgent, 
you can share it with us, and we will have the opportunity when we meet together to discuss it as leaders, that is, and then take, take it from there. But if it is something that's specifically urgent, well, you could even do that during a meeting. When there's an open time, for example, and you feel you've got a particular one, well, you could come and share it with one of the leaders in that meeting, and the same thing will apply there and then. But all of this is so that we are seeking that in everything it should be done in a fitting and orderly way, which is the last verse of this chapter, so that things may be done in that orderly way, so that in everything we will seek to follow the way of love or pursue love, as the ESV puts it. So God will be speaking to us his particular will to build up the church in love. Of course, with all of it, the foundation will be the word of God. And that will be our touchstone for everything. But we do well to listen to God. And if God speaks to us, we will need to listen to what he has to say. Mistakes will be made. They often are. But our desire is the building up of each other for the glory of God. So this is the outline. As I said earlier, we will not have covered everything and you will still have questions. But this is the outline of what God's word has to say in this chapter. May God bless it to us and help us to live in the light of it day by day. Let's sing a